we're taking a step away from the book of James for this morning and I want to give you kind of a vision for who we are as a church and our desires for 2019 and, and, and past that. But let me ask by asking some, let me begin by asking some questions. What are you looking for in a church? I'm not sure if you've thought about that question lately, but it's been in my mind the last year or two. And, and take a moment and think, what, what is the ideal church look like? And what picture comes to your mind? Maybe you think that the ideal church is one that has beautiful music, one that we experienced this morning, you know, that, that obviously worked hard during the week to produce enjoyable music for the congregation um, and different types of music. Maybe you're looking for uh, choirs. We're going to have some of those coming in December, uh, piano. You know, maybe you're looking for that in a church. The music is what you look for in a church. And maybe others of you are looking for a church that has good preaching, you want a church that has sermons that are good, that are meaningful but not heavy-handed, biblical but not boring, practical but not picky or legalistic. Of course, the, the kind of preacher that stands before you plays a part in your mind, I'm sure. There are all sorts of preachers out there, some very scholarly who never smile, some whimsical who have a million stories to hold your attention, or maybe it's just a certain type of teaching that you want. That's what you're looking for in a church, a subject matter that suits you're fancy. Uh, perhaps, though, you're looking for a church where the people are at the same uh, life position as you. You know, you, you connect with them. They understand what you're going through because they're going through the same thing. So you're, you're looking for a church with uh, lots of young marrieds and, and they have kids. Or are you looking for a church with college age and career? Or, or you're looking for a church where everyone's nearing retirement? Or you're looking for a church where everyone shops at the thrift store? Whatever it may be. People that dress like you. Then, then yet again, there are others that are look for a church that feels a certain way. Not that you would ever put it that way, but you're, you're used to a church feeling and functioning one way. So nostalgia sets in, and you, and you want to find a church just like the one you grew up in, or the, or the one that you were saved in, or, or the one that you raised your kids in. And you have to find that one that reminds you of one you, what you once had. Phrases like, uh, I remember when we used to do this, or that, that was amazing. Do you remember that? God really worked then. Why doesn't the church do that now? That's nostalgia. That's, and nostalgia has a way of lying to us. Whether we like to admit it or not, things will never be the same as they once were. But we all seem to have a longing to return to what was familiar, what was good. But there's a problem. There's, there's no perfect church no perfect worship service, no perfect church program, no perfect pastor, no perfect church member. We're all flawed, and so we need to have a measuring stick. How do we determine where we plant our roots? We need to know what the church believes and teaches, and we need to know where the church is going with what it believes. What does God want our church to be doing? I know we're supposed to be glorifying God, but how does that Look, what are we aiming at? How do we know if we hit the target? So my goal for the next 40 minutes is to flesh this out in three areas. If I were to state our mission as a church in one sentence, I would say Edgewood Bible Church is a family that loves God, loves one another, and loves the nations. Who we are and where we're going. And so I hope to cover these three areas this morning. If you receive notes, it's listed there. We love God, so we preach the word. If you don't have notes, it's behind me. 
We love God, so we preach the word. We love one another, so we disciple one another. And we love the nation, so we send the church. And I'm gonna focus our attention on, on one verse at the end of Colossians 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. But I want to read the context uh, before we get to that verse, verse 28. So I'll read this section, this short section, and then I'll pray and we'll begin. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak this morning to your people, that you would be their guide to understand what your word says and apply to their life. And God, we, we ask that you would change us, that you would direct our hearts and our minds um, to maybe areas where we need to grow or adapt in areas where we just need, because we're convicted to to turn from and turn to you. You ask, God, that you would be honored and glorified in all of this. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. First, we love God, so we preach the word. What grows a local church? What brings new life? What brings new hope and future for a local church? You perhaps have never thought about this. Maybe if you were to sit back and and, and ponder it for a few moments, might reply that what brings growth to a church is possibly a, a certain program that the church has. Maybe it's a youth program or, or children's outreach. Or, or you might say what brings growth is evangelism, sharing the gospel with others. That brings growth. You might also say that what brings growth is good and healthy leadership for the church. And all these suggestions are, are partly true. They do bring some growth, but they're only the vehicles of growth. They aren't the seed. And the seed for growth in the local church is expository preaching of the word. And friends, preaching has fallen on hard times in the 21st century. Many churches are abandoning the preached word in favor of other new things to draw people into the church. Maybe music will draw people. Maybe this event will draw people. All the while, we have forgotten what the Bible says. No one can come to, the, to me unless the Father who, who sent me draws him. That was Jesus talking about the gospel. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, and in this section, Paul is identifying for us again his purpose and our purpose for our lives. Are you looking for what you should do with your life? You, you should start here. Start with the word. This is what it should be about. And Paul says, as I just read in, in, in Colossians 1, he, he gives us his ministry of what he's going to do and what he does in and. In the churches, he says in verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Him we proclaim, he says. The whole passage and what he's driving at is Jesus Christ. As believers, we live in this world and we'll be persecuted for our beliefs in Jesus. 
And we should expect that. Yet yeah, our job as Christians is to continue to proclaim him. It's all about Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. Him, Jesus, is the one whom we proclaim. And what does proclaim mean here? The word proclaim means to publicly declare or announce a completed truth, a happening. We proclaim Christ, that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the dead. We proclaim that the scriptures are true and Christ is our rescuer. That Jesus is the head of the church, the source of all fullness, the only mediator and redeemer of mankind. And where do we learn of Christ? We, we learn of him from his word. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to have a few passages for you this morning to turn around to, so have your Bibles ready. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. This should be a familiar verse. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Continue the chapter four. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In this book, it's, it's Paul writing to Timothy, the pastor, to encourage him again what his life and ministry should be. And all scripture is inspired by God. Just after those verses I read in chapter four, then he says, if, if the word is inspired by God, I charge you then, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. And when the word is preached, it is the inspired scriptures that God has given us. We, we can't miss that, that through these scriptures, this word means it's a writing, it's a letter. This, this telling us that this word has come in book form. Preach the word. This means that when preaching happens, it has to be the book. It has to be the Bible. We find all our preaching from the word of God. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about other things, but those things need to find their meaning and purpose from the book, from the word. And preaching, first and foremost, is book work. We, we spend our time in the word first before we stand before God's people and preach. And we have help in our study. The, the Holy Spirit teaches us and sustains us and shapes us to proclaim the word faithfully. The Spirit inspired the word and lives to exalt Christ as we read and preach the word. He says that for us in chapter 3, verse 16, as I read, all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture is there to point our minds and our hearts to Christ, to, to live holy lives. It is the mirror we need for our lives here on earth. And we need the word. We need the word preached. Why? Why do we need the word preached in churches? Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 3 that I read. There is a time that's coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Friends, this is real then, and it's real now. Sat across the table from a brother this week, lamenting the fact that the church that he attended grew up in the faith for years, has walked away from the word bringing in new teaching that suits their passions, that suits their desires. 
The time is coming, in fact, the time has come that people will not endure sound teaching. They will not endure sound doctrine. Their ears are itching for something new. So the word that is preached here at Edgewood Bible Church has to be sound doctrine. It has to be. And this sound doctrine, what Paul is talking about here, if we go back into chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he says, follow the pattern, chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So when he says sound teaching or sound doctrine, he's referring to what is already said in chapter 1. There's a standard, there's a pattern of sound teaching. And what this means is that those teachers in the early church were developing a body of, of fixed doctrine, the sound teaching under the direction and care of the Holy Spirit and the apostles. And they were to write it down. They were to keep it sound, keep it healthy. And Paul delivered his authoritative standard of truth and they needed to keep it and keep it sound and keep it healthy. And this standard is still here for, to us, for us today. This is our job as, as elders and pastors of EBC to preserve the word. The word is all of scripture, New and Old Testaments. And so we endeavor to keep it, to obey it, and to preach it. And why does Paul say preach the word? What, is it, what does it mean to preach? He doesn't charge Timothy here just to teach it or, or just to read it or even share it, but he says to preach it. What is Paul trying to convey to Timothy? What is he trying to convey to us? And he's making a distinction here between teaching and preaching. And the word preaching is the same word that we read earlier in Colossians 1.28. And it's different than teaching. Preaching and proclaim are the same. And to preach, to proclaim is to announce. To proclaim in the sense of a, of a, a law, to a celebrate. Preaching is the town crier heralding the good news from the king. John Piper has said about the preacher, he says he gathers a group of people and he says, hear ye, hear ye. Let it be known to you today that the royal order of his highness, the king, there will be henceforth be granted to his town an imperial watch of 100 soldiers to protect you from the rebel hands who plunder the king's subject. And a cheer goes up from the people. That's amens. Sorry, honey. I want to make sure you're still awake. You kind of, uh. And he continues, furthermore, be it known to you that the cost for this protection shall be borne not of taxation, but by the goodness of the king for his royal treasury. Again, cheers. That's amen. amen. Moreover, the king would have you know that he loves you, his loyal subjects, and he will use all his royal counsel and power to defend you and to supply all that you need. And the cheers again are, and lastly, he sends me through this royal blessing. Blessed be the people who trust in the king. And the cheers are. See, friends, preaching is more than just teaching. It's an exaltation of the word. It's a declaration. And Paul says to, to Timothy, preach the word. Exalt in the word. Announce it. Revel in it. Speak this amazing news and do it with passion because this is the best news anyone has ever heard. This is good news that God, our creator, is loving and holy and just and he will one day execute justice against all sin and people like you and me who are made in the image of God, we are beautiful, amazing creatures 
with dignity and worth and value. Every single human. And we have willfully sinned in our rebellion against this holy God. We have turned from him. We are his enemies. And yet there's this capacity still to make this relationship restored between us and God. And how could this happen? Christ, his son, the son of God, whose sinless life gave him the ability to become the perfect sacrifice. And through his death on the cross, he he ransomed sinful people. He bought them back from the slave market of sin. He purchased them. And Christ's death paid for the sins of all who would come to him in faith. And Christ's resurrection from the dead is the ultimate vindication of the truth of his claims. And what do we do with this? Our response is that God requires that we acknowledge our sin, that we repent and we believe in Jesus Christ and we turn from our sin with the understanding that we will follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. So my non-Christian friends that are here this morning, I'm glad you're here. How do you respond to this news? It begs for a response. You can't ignore it. And for my family here, my church family, did you get it? Man, or excuse me, God, man, Christ response. Did you hear it? Are you ready to proclaim it? Are you ready to share it with those that you share your lives with? This is good news, friends. This is the best news that the world has ever heard. And we cannot grow tired of sharing this good news. As a church, we love God. So we preach the word. We preach the gospel. I heard this week, a preacher's job is to walk the bride down the aisle to Jesus. That's my job every week. To walk you, the the bride of Christ, down to Jesus. And this is who we are about. We love God, so we preach the word. Second, we love one another, so we disciple one another. Realizing that in this world, people like to be alone more and more. With the revolution of the smartphone and social media and personal entertainment, every facet of our lives has become more and more personal, more isolated. In the last two weeks, a popular preacher just a few miles north of us in Seattle announced a new location for their church. Do you know where it was? called Church Home Global. Here's what he said in response. Where is the location? The location is the phone in the palm of your hand. A new way to church. It says before the live service, you can watch from your phone. You can meet new people in the lobby in your phone. Actual people, he says, that you can meet and interact with on your phone. This was wasn't announced as a spoof or a joke. No, this was done with all honesty and sincerity. I'm sure their desire that they want more people to connect with Jesus. But man, this is bad. Our society is moving more and more quickly to separate ourselves from real people. To look through life through a screen. 
And I, I believe that those devices, smartphones, can be leveraged to aid us in ministry. I'm not con- condemning smartphones. But they must never replace real life and personal ministry. You were made in the image of God and for participation in the body of Christ. You were, you were made to, for this need to be known personally, to be looked at face to face and loved. And we need better than a virtual community. The scriptures are clear in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're, we're created to need other people. You recognize even before the fall, even before the fall, God knew that we needed others. That's why he said to to Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. That's not the result of the fall. That was before the fall. We are made for others. The only way for us to be faithful in our ministry is through discipleship and to be with other people. Our second purpose and, and, and really core value of EBC, as you see there, is we to love one another, so we disciple one another. Now, this may frighten you or confuse you. Maybe you're asking, what exactly is discipleship? It's helping others to follow Jesus. It's deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Jesus Christ. That's what discipling is. Discipleship is following Jesus, and discipling is helping others to follow Jesus. Coming back to to Colossians, turn back with me to Colossians 1 because he continues in this verse, verse 28. He he begins by saying, him we proclaim, him him we declare, we preach. And then he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We're to be warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I I call this the discipling part. Many, Many feel that discipling is just another program. Maybe it's just another part of Christianity, but that's not another part. It's the whole of the Christian life. I believe that if you don't get connected and involved in a local church, you won't make it as a Christian. This is the way Jesus set it up. As sons and daughters of God, we're supposed to be in each other's lives, discipling one another. And if you're not helping others follow Jesus, I don't know what it means Then you say, I'm following Jesus. It doesn't make sense to me. This isn't extra. This isn't some super Christian thing to do. This is what Christians do. This is normal behavior for those that follow Jesus. It's an additional program for the church. This is the program of the church. And so being a Christian is being a disciple, and a disciple is helping others to follow Jesus. And it most definitely look different for each of us and how we apply this to our lives. We're all made individually and special, and some were born with a bigger emotional wallet, and some handle things better than others. But it doesn't mean that we're exempt from discipling others. And what a church does is helping others follow Jesus. We love one another, so we disciple one another. This is the flesh of the body of Christ. If, if the bones of the church is, is baptism and the Lord's Supper and membership and sound teaching and doctrine, then the skin on the bones is discipling. It's the flesh, the skin, the appearance of what it's On the inside, this is what makes the church a church. And it can be done in a multitude of ways, but it must be done if we're to be healthy. 
Paul says in Colossians 1.28, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, the, the first step in becoming a follower of Christ is believing in him, but the next step is taking them and growing them up in Christ. Paul says to warn and to teach. To warn people means to stimulate, to encourage. Another word that gives a better meaning for us is to counsel them. The Greek word for warning or admonishing is nutheo, which we get the, 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 Greek, the term nuthetic or nuthetic counseling. We admonish them as they follow Christ. And we also notice that three times Paul writes this. He says, everyone, each one, emphasizing that Christian teaching is for all, not for just some spiritual elite, but for all to do this ministry with the individual care of souls. Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It's our responsibility as, as a Christian. And to be a Christian is to be a disciple. So discipleship is following Jesus. But discipling, that means we're helping others to follow Jesus. There are no Christians who are not disciples. And to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow Jesus. There are no disciples of Jesus who are not following Jesus. So labeling yourself as a Christian on a survey that comes in the mail doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Christians are people who have a real faith in Christ and who show it by resting their hopes and their fears and their lives entirely on Jesus. And they follow where he leads. You no longer set the agenda for your life. You, Jesus Christ does that. You belong to him. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And here's the thing. Perhaps this is new to you. But you, you sit here this morning, you count yourself a Christian because you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Well, the next natural step is to be discipled into understanding what the Bible teaches and how it impacts then your life and what you should do with what the Bible teaches. This is the joyous thing of discipleship with Jesus. And our job as the church is to come alongside people in the church and come alongside them to help them follow Jesus. You may have found out about our church on our website or through social media, but to get to know our church is to be here, to be with us, to walk with us. Furthermore, loving one another sets us apart from the world, Jesus says. John says in chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. J.C. Ryle points out it's, it's called a new commandment, not because it's never been given before, but because it was to be more honored or to occupy a higher position, to be backed up by a higher example than it ever had been before. And this is the commandment that Jesus gives to us in John 13, to love one another, just as Jesus has loved us. The love that Jesus commands us to fulfill, to have this love towards one another is no ordinary love. This, this is different. We're Christians. This is the type of love, a love of a newborn man to another newborn man. And so we should love each other this way. 
We should seek to be a part of the church. There used to be, there was a man actually that used to attend church years ago. And when I started in my position as senior pastor, he would email me. How do I put it? He would send uh, hate bombs via email once a month, every few months. I met with him a few times. I said that he needed to come back and be a part of the church. He had criticism and gripes, and he was angry at the church. He says, I don't like the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. I asked him, are you a Christian? He said, most definitely. Friends, you can't be a Christian, say you love Jesus, and say you can't stand the church. It's not possible. Say, if you... If you say you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if I say I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Now, the Holy Spirit in you won't tell you to have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit living in me. It's not possible. The Holy Spirit will cause us to love one another. The Jesus in me will love the Jesus in you. And so to say you can't stand the church doesn't line up with what the Bible says. This love rises out and rises to a brand new union that we have with Jesus Christ, a totally new union with God. A man who is a Christian belongs to a very special family, and this family does not include the entire world, but it's a family inside of a much larger human family, and yet very separate from the greater and so we're no longer Englishmen or Canadian or American. We're, we're Christian. We're no longer from this church or that church or from that state or this state. We're brothers and sisters. We're a family. This is what a church is, the family of God. So it seems foolish to think of the church, the family of God, not loving each other. But it happens. We've been guilty of it. I mean, we're a family. Why would we not choose to love one another? Charles Spurgeon has a great analogy over this. He writes, suppose that my little finger has been properly washed and cleansed, but that the rest of my hand is not so clean, and that therefore my finger hold, holds it to be its duty to shut off the rest of my hand from communing with itself. It cannot do it. It is impossible unless it's severed from the hand. It must commune with the rest of the body, whether it is washed or unwashed. You may deny your friend the outward form of fellowship because he is wrong, but you cannot deny him the inner fellowship, which is much more important. You are allied to God, and therefore you must have fellowship with others who are allied to God, whether you like it or not. This is the duty of Christians in the family of God. This is our privilege as a family of God here in Edgewood. We're to love one another. And Jesus says, in so doing, the world will see that we're different than them. And one way that we love one another is we disciple one another. We help one another follow Jesus. So what should you do? When coming to Sunday service or to Bible studies or care groups, are you coming for what you can get out of that meeting? Do you come into the service just for you? 
or do you look for ways to give? I don't want to use this analogy because I can go too far, but have you ever seen pigs when it's feeding time? They don't think of others. As a church family on Sunday, is that how we approach the service? Get out of my way. Let me find my seat. And I'm looking at all you that sit in the same spot every week. Or do we think of others? How we can serve one another. This will tell you whether or not you're a disciple willing to lay down your life for others and helping others to follow Jesus. We shouldn't come into the service with a me-only mindset. We should look to love one another, seeking the good for one another. Thinking of others is more important than ourselves. That's a discipling attitude. And that spills over to the second thing I believe you should do. I want you to pause for a moment and think of one person, just one, someone here, someone that you know in this church family that you would love to see follow Jesus more. Have you thought of that one? You really need to. I want you to pray for that one. Spend the next week or two praying for that one person. I I would need to say it needs to be someone of the, the same sex, so this is not a dating opportunity. It doesn't need to be someone that you know very well. It could be someone that you don't know, or it could be someone you know very well. And I want you to seriously pray for them. Pray for them every day the next week or two. And then think, how, how, how might I go about helping them follow Jesus more? How can I do deliberate spiritual good in their life? One or two small steps. It doesn't have to be something extraordinary. But it needs to be intentional. And then you go to them. You build or expand on their friendship and seek to help them follow Jesus more. Maybe it's just going for coffee once in a while. Maybe it's just text message or phone calls. Maybe it's saying, hey, would you like to read this book together and talk about it? But be intentional. And I was encouraged years ago in Bible college to, to be always pouring myself into someone else. I was encouraged to pour into someone younger in the faith than me and to seek to find someone older in the faith than me that would pour into me. So it's constant, and they're looking for this, always disciple. But a word of warning, though. We need to remember that, to, that people will not always respond to our love and care for them. They might see our love not as good love, but as flawed and insufficient. And we, we need to remind ourselves that we serve God and not man. And so our toil and labor cannot be rooted in our love for others and or their love for us. It must always be rooted in our love for the Savior. He is the one who purchased them with his blood. And so we serve others in discipling them like a patient farmer waiting for God to bring the fruit. And as we disciple one another, we we grow up in the Lord. And we know that this discipling ministry cannot just happen inside these four walls. 
It happens a lot that it spills over outside of the church. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, presenting people mature in Christ will lead them for leaving for the sake of the gospel. So that leads me to the last point this morning, the third one. We love the nations, so we send the church. As we look to God and his word, and as we look to be faithful in our discipling relationships, we need to look outward. God is looking to draw others into himself, to be part of the redeemed community, the church. And God is, just so you know, God is satisfied in himself. He, he does not need us. And he is uppermost in his own affections. Yet God is not exclusively self-absorbed. He wants the gospel to go to the nations, not just remain within a certain geographical uh, confine. Heaven, if you don't recognize this, heaven will be a place where every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be represented around the throne of God. And this great variety will glorify him all the more. And so we cannot be so self-consumed either. We must love the nations just like our Father does. Paul says in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's a natural progression in this verse. We, we proclaim Christ as saving good news of the gospel and those come to know him and are trained in him, warned and taught with all wisdom so that may be presented. Prepared to be fully mature, fully ready for the task. And the task, the task is to go and do that process all over again. This is the program of God for the church. Paul was not interested in believers staying spiritual babies, but that they would grow and become mature and complete. Elsewhere, Paul prayed for sanctification of believers in 1 Thessalonians 5. And Paul took the responsibility of leading them onto maturity. He, he moved them from infancy to infantry. Spiritual babies have great potential, but they become a serious drain on the church and a, and a source of untold problems if they remain in the nursery forever. Think of that realistically. If our church was full of babies, Amanda, you're in charge of nursery, right? It would be a problem. We need them to grow out. The same spiritually. They need to be trained for the next step of ministry that the Lord has for them. And when Paul states to present every person, it was this, the thought of bringing them into God's presence at the return of Jesus Christ, a desire to see each Christian mature in the Lord. Mature or perfect is the Greek term telos, which means fully equipped for an assigned task. It was used of first broken limbs being healed and becoming useful again, or second, fishing nets being mended and thereby being able to catch fish, or third, ships being fitted with ropes and sails for the sea. So it doesn't imply sinlessness, but a, a functional a maturity for ministry. To be complete and mature is to be like Jesus Christ, to attain the, the proper end of one's existence. And it should be the goal of every believer to grow up and to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Paul states this truth in Ephesians 4. The job for church leaders is to equip the saints. This is what the pastor of the church and Ephesus is to do, and Colossae to do, and this is what my desire is for the church here at Edgewood Bible. 
We continue in ministry not just to give you something to do on Sunday. I'm sure you could find other things to do. We don't do ministry for that purpose. We don't just have events for the sake of events, just to fill your calendar. There's a purpose behind everything we seek to do. It's to grow disciples of Jesus Christ. And one thing that I pray for regularly for our church family, it isn't numerical growth. I'm not interested in that. I'm really not interested in a big church. I'm praying for spiritual growth, refinement, mature Christians. Paul says such maturity is possible in Christ. It is by the virtue of the believer's union with Jesus Christ. When confessing of our own imperfection and corruption, we take refuge in Christ and by faith lay hold of his perfection and that are renewed by the Holy Spirit into his likeness. Then and not till then are we perfect in Jesus Christ. And we desire at EBC to follow the pattern of 2 Timothy 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Our, our goal here in this church is to reproduce ourselves in ministry, to continue to do this. Again, not interested in building a platform for ministry. We're interested in building mature Christians for ministry. And the next logical step in growing disciples is to send them out, either as a new church plant from Edgewood Bible Church or missionaries to the field. I've heard a little bit from people in the last few months, you know, starting to get a little more full in here. You know, what are we going to do when our chairs fill up? And I, my response is to plant a church. I'm not interested in going to a second service. Sorry. I don't know what the Lord is going to do, but that's not my interest. I don't believe that's the interest of the elders at this point. We want to reproduce ourselves to spread the gospel. See, the goal of EBC is not our seating capacity, it's our sending capacity. How many can we send out? We don't have services on Sunday as an event. And if you come to church as a consumer only to only get what you want and need, then you've missed the point of the church. Coming to church isn't about you. Coming to church isn't about me. We are intended to be a part of God's plan for drawing other people to himself, for encouraging and building up those who are already his children. Each member is is not simply intended to be a consumer. We're intended to be providers. We should be co-laborers with God himself in the work of the gospel. And so friends, us as believers, we need to recognize the gospel cannot be hoarded. You know what I mean by that, right? You've seen the television show, Hoarders. Maybe you haven't, don't watch it. But as the gospel, we don't want to hoard it to ourselves. It must be given out. And to be faithful to the scriptures, the gospel must go forth to the nations. We cannot be satisfied with self Absorption. And God gave us his only son, so we should be passionate about sharing the gospel with those that need to hear in all nations. How will they believe in Christ if they haven't heard, if they don't have a messenger? Romans 10, how will they hear, how will they call on him in whom they not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they not heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, we, we love the nations, so we send the church. This is what Edgewood is doing and what we desire to keep on doing until Jesus comes back to take us home. And why do we send people? It's out of obedience to God, but it's also out of love for neighbor. If we are convinced that eternal suffering in hell is the most wicked of all human suffering, what else would we prioritize? We've been a church of faithful service outside of these four walls. And my hope is that continues. God has allowed us to send missionaries and to plant churches, both of which we are praying that would happen more in the future. See, our desire is to plant more churches in the Northwest and throughout the world. Our desire is to send more missionaries. This is what we should be about. This is who we should be as a church. To love the nations. Now this, as you're sitting here, might be a lot to take in. A lot for a church to do, but Paul has some helpful words here as we end in Colossians 1, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. See, God is the one who brings fruit to our ministry. He is the one that we pray to and ask to bring fruit to our ministry. He is the one that we should look to as we look to the future ministry of Edgewood Bible Church. It isn't our talents, it's not our gifts, it's our God. And as we continue to study his word, looking into the mirror, we need to remind ourselves that we're not home yet. It reminded me last week, actually talking to a brother after the service of the passage in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Someday we will see Christ face to face. That is why we do what we do here. You know, even though darkness overwhelms us in our life, even though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men, we need to be reminded that all will be humbled and all will see Jesus face to face. There is an end. There is a culmination to this life and it's when Christ comes back for his bride, the church. All of our sins will be behind us because of the blood of Christ. And friends, I look forward to that day to see him face to face. Do you? When we see him and we know him and we'll know him like we've never known him before because we'll finally be home. And until that day comes, my prayer is that Edgewood Bible Church would be a family that loves God, that loves one another, that loves the nations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that guides us to understand your truth, who you are, 
and your desire for us in ministry. God, I thank you for the church, the family of God that's seated here, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that you're using in various ways throughout this church and in their families and neighborhoods and workplaces. And I pray that you would use what I've shared this morning from your word as an encouragement to them to continue on what they're already doing. I pray that we'd be a people that would love your word, that would look forward to hearing it preached, that'd be stirred into a response to to apply it to our life and to obey it for our life. I pray that we'd be a people that that love to disciple one another, to help one another follow Jesus. We have become mature and complete in you to understand your word, to apply your word. And God, I pray that you would send us, that we'd have the privilege as a family to send people that we dearly love and care for out to preach the gospel that that would cycle, would start again, reproducing themselves in ministry. And we do this all, God, for your honor and for your glory. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.